This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the 343 Podcast. On today's episode, Joey Cassio joins me to discuss what we can learn about our players when they are forced to work on their own. Do the players do the work or not? Do the players have what it takes to push through tough times or not? Do the players have those special traits required to make it at the higher levels or not? Now, these are unprecedented times, and I'm not trying to downplay or ignore the situation that we are all living through, but we can turn this into an opportunity to learn about our players, our families, our clubs, our communities, and most importantly, ourselves. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Joey Cassio, and if you do enjoy it, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any major podcast catcher or provider. And if you really like the show, please consider sharing it with others or giving it a five-star rating and writing a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Doing that can help others find the show organically, and that would be amazing. Last thing before we get into today's episode, I just want to remind you that 343 is up and running, and right now is the best time to revisit some of the classic evergreen articles that are on 343coaching.com. In the past, I've had people tell me that they've gone back and read through every article two or even three times, which is amazing. These articles never get old, and they are loaded with value. So if you're looking for something to read or if you're looking for something to study, that is a great resource. 343coaching.com is also where you can sign up for a free seven-week coaching course that is a great thing to take advantage of right now. It consists of video, audio, and ebook lessons that are great for coaches at any level. And of course, our flagship premium coaching education membership program is always there for you when you are ready. This is the material that completely transformed me and Joey into different coaches. Being able to see and hear Brian and the players is an experience unlike any other, and you can't get that anywhere else than 343coaching.com. Once again, you can visit 343coaching.com to experience all of that. All right, let's get into today's episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Joey Cassio. Anyways, Adam showed me like all this, all these different things about like, you know, how much or how often Brian was using like 3v1, how long he was doing it in those sessions, uh, what else he was doing in all those sessions. And he kind of broke it down in a graph and I was like, oh shit, like that's actually kind of cool. I bet you people would like to hear about that. And then as I was cleaning out some of the shit at my mom's house recently, I, I came across a box of all kinds of sessions, like from when I was coaching the boys team, when I was coaching the college, when I was coaching girls. So I started pulling shit out left and right, looking at all that stuff. And I was like, you know, it'd probably be pretty cool to find out what, what I was doing with those teams too. And yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting, but it turns out like three V one was the the most consistent thing that I, that I use the most. So, really? Yeah. Yeah. And huh. then, and then all kinds of variations of four V one and four V two, 
uh, like four V two plus one, like all kinds of different variations of those two, uh, yeah. at, over the course of like three years. So like, as they got, as they got more comfortable with it, we added in like different things, which I thought was pretty interesting, but more than, more than half the shit we did was, was some type of a rondo. Yeah. 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 So, I would say my, the way that my sessions have been designed, it's sort of evolved over the years. I'd say more, more now I use the rondo like 75% or a variation of the rondo 75% of a training session where probably in like 2015 and I kind of skimmed through my sessions going back to 2015, I would, uh, you know, I've always started with the four V one. So that's always been a staple of the training sessions. But, uh, after the four V ones, I would jump around a lot more back then in 2015. But over the years I've gradually, you know, been more dependent on variations of the Ronda through my sessions. And now like some of my sessions, it's just all variations of a rondo throughout sometimes but yeah it, it is interesting to uh get an idea of how much you use that exercise throughout training how many training sessions did you get with your new team once you moved over to legends before all this shutdown stuff happened man not much not much i want to say i want to say like three weeks oh wow maybe a month so not not much time and we were doing co- a combination of, so at the age group that i have a team there's two teams and they're, they're 99. So next year they go 11 to 11. So we've been combining the two teams and doing combinations. I've been working with the other coach, um, during the session. So I, I think I maybe had one or two sessions where it was just my team before all of this happened. What were some of the things that you worked on initially? Because that's like, it's, you took over a brand new team basically. So you're, you're starting from scratch when it comes to what you want to implement. So what were you, what were you doing those first couple of sessions? Yeah, definitely the, the four V one, probably spending a good chunk of the session on that. Uh, you know, making sure the, the players knew what I wanted from the exercise. So really taking a lot of time to explain what exactly we were looking for within that exercise so that would take a good chunk of it and then i think we did uh, a couple sessions we did a double rondo and then some basicos and then we would play at the end but yeah man it was it wasn't ideal i was in the middle of like transitioning from fram to legends so ending my time at fram finishing up national cup uh and then beginning at legends and in the process of you know moving things over and working on the recruiting and all that and bam this bomb gets dropped and it's just been a nightmare have you stayed in contact with your team throughout this i know i i see a lot of coaches are you know doing zoom sessions and all kinds of other stuff but have you uh, have you been in contact with your guys cuz that's got to be a pretty unique situation where they don't even really know you that well the families don't don't know you that well so it's kind of unique in in that sense yeah, I, I've been uh, designing weekly plans uh, each week for the players uh, with like five different things. And it, it, I probably will do some sort of Zoom meeting or something. I haven't done it yet, but just designing the, uh, the plans, I just feel like, man, this is just, you know, this isn't anything special or they can go on the internet and look this stuff up and do it themselves but just trying to hold them accountable to doing it uh yeah just you know getting some touches on the ball ball on the wall stuff 
uh, you know, some foot skill stuff, like one-on-one technical training stuff, uh, the fitness, and then I've been including uh, a match for them to watch and write like a two-paragraph report to me and send back so that I know that they've watched it and they've formed some thoughts around the game after watching it. So, yeah, that that's sort of been what I've been doing uh, for about three, four weeks since all this has gone down. But, yeah, I'm leaning now towards probably doing at least once a week a, a Zoom meeting just to, you know, so they can hear my voice and uh, see my face, ask questions. You know, they can – I can deliver the message as much as like I would deliver it at training. You know what I mean? I think that that's important, but I haven't done it yet. It's funny that you you mentioned something about – the kids being able to go and find a lot of this stuff if they wanted to, they could go find it on YouTube for free or probably just scroll through Twitter, Instagram or what, or whatever, and find a lot of the stuff for free. I came across somebody that, that tweeted and I, I believe he was a coach, but I, I came across his tweet saying that it's so funny how much we have to push young soccer players to do all of this extra stuff because he doesn't remember ever having to be pushed like that when he was playing basketball. And, and the basketball culture, like just going out and shooting, going out and dribbling, going out and, and just, you know, playing in the front yard, like uh, that, that just seems so natural when it comes to basketball. And then with soccer, it seems like we have to like convince these kids somehow to go out and do that. Um, and, and it just seems kind of weird. I might feel differently about that just from the way that, you know, I've worked with players and I see players, but maybe maybe it's different in southern california maybe it's different for high level elite players than you know lower level rec players something like that but that's just kind of the observation that i've had and then when i saw that that guy's tweet pop up i was like oh i agree with that and i kind of shook i remember shaking my head when i saw it how do you how, how do you kind of respond to that at this time you know a lot really you if you're if you have the character of a soccer player who's hungry who wants to learn who wants to get better you got that drive you're going to go out and, and seek this stuff to a, an extent on your own, you know, watch games, look at YouTube videos or whatnot, the stuff that you can do on your own, the workouts that you can do on your own without the coach having to give you all of that material uh, to a certain extent. I think hungry players, driven players will go and do that on their own and to reach, to reach a high level as a player, you have to have that sort of character. If you don't, and you're always relying on the coach to give you everything, you know, to, to push you to work out on your own, to do the extra work, you have no chance of playing, you know, at, at some of the higher levels in the game in the U.S. If you're that type of player where you constantly have to have the coach on you, like, hey, you need to do this, I need to know that you did it, can you send me a video, send me a video so I know that you did it, then you're operating at a level of mediocrity. It's probably important for coaches and then also parents to hear that because a lot of times I myself, I'll speak for myself. I don't want to speak on anybody else's behalf, but I get asked quite a bit, you know, what team should my kid be on? Should I move my kid to the DA? Should uh, we be reaching out to these colleges, to these pro teams and, and, you know, so on and so on. And the hardest thing I have to, you know, talk to parents about is realistically, do you think your player has what it takes to make it? And so in this time of, of kind of shutdown right now, 
this is a great time for parents and coaches to really observe if, if players have that, that gene or that characteristic in them that, that drive inside of them that is needed, like you mentioned, to really make it at the highest level. Or what we might find out during this time, which is probably true for a lot of players, is that a lot of players are simply recreational players. And that's not a bad thing. There's a, it's, there's a spot for everybody in the American soccer system, but it's, it's hard for a lot of people to realize and accept that that might be their player. Uh, that is that is a recreational player, and during this time, I think that we're gonna it, it, it would only put a magnifying glass on that aspect of it. I've been thinking about that a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah. I think I think you know the culture here in the states. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, emphasis put on like I quote unquote exposure. You know, putting yourself in the position to get exposure. Where for me, and I tell this to my players, to me, it's like, just go, go fucking work as hard as you possibly can and be so good that you can't be ignored. That should be the way that you're looking at it and not, oh, well, I need to be over here on this D18 because if I'm on that D18, then I'm going to be seen by some college coaches or I'm going to go to this showcase where, you know, maybe I'll get seen. If that's your approach, you're selling yourself short. Just go work at the younger ages. Like, okay, yeah, I get it. You need to be competing at a level. That's a challenge for you. I think that's, if anything, that's the way to look at it. Be challenged. Make sure you're in a position where you're being challenged. But other than that, just go work, man. Go put in the work, ball on a wall, make sure you're fit, you know, match analysis, learning your position, finding a, finding a player at the top level that you can, you can model your game after and make it a lifestyle and do everything you possibly can to be so good that then wherever you are, wherever you're playing, you people can't ignore you. People can't ignore the fact that you are good at what you do. I think that's the way to approach it. Um, and that's just not the culture here in America. So yeah, this is an interesting time where we're all, you know, all these players are isolated individually. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see who comes out of it, you know, sharp and fit and with the right mentality. Yeah. I like what you just said too, is that you have to be undeniably, you know, the, the best of the best. If you want to be, you know, the type of player that's considering those types of moves, right? Like if you're thinking about, Oh, should I be in this MLS DA? Uh, Well, okay. Are you the undeniably, are you undeniably the best player on the field, wherever you're at right now? If you're not, then what's moving gonna, gonna do for you? Uh, what 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 are the benefits of of the move going to be? Is it just like a status move? Is it uh, for fun? Is it closer to you? What, like I don't understand the reason for the move if you're not if you're not the best player on the field already, and right. and and I think a lot of people don't realize that. Like, are you the best player on your team? Okay, cool. Are you the best player in the league? Okay, that's awesome. Are you the best player in the city, the county, the state? Like those are, there's so many different levels to it that, that you can, that you can look at before you really start thinking about like, Oh, you know, do I need to move to this, this DA or this ECNL team? Uh, do I need to go to this college recruiting camp? Things like that. Like if you are undeniably the best player and you're also doing like, like you said, if you're, if you're going out there and you're doing the work, 
you know, of course there's going to be some circumstances where it might not work out, but for the most part, those are the things that you need to, that you need to have right before you start thinking about where you need to, to be moving to, in my opinion. Yeah, man. I think it's, it's a fairly simple thing. And I think here in the U S we just, in general, the approach is to always be maneuvering for exposure instead of just working and trying to outwork everybody else and making yourself so good that you don't have to worry about maneuvering and getting over here on this team. It's just, everyone knows this guy, this player is legit. This player is good. Everyone's after the same player. You know, you're, you're in demand. I think that's, that's the way to go about it. hundred percent. Joey, without having told a player what they should be doing or having told a parent what they, what they should be telling their, their child to do. If you happen to find out that it, that a player was doing it, certain things outside of practice or doing certain things on their own? What what are some of the things that would impress you? Well, I think, first of all, just wanting to do it without me or their parents, like telling them to go and do it, just doing it on their own. Um, you know, I've had players in the past couple of years at, at Fram, I've had players who, you know, I didn't have to go and tell them to do it, but they would come to me and they would ask, you know, Hey, you know, I, I do work on my own, you know, what, what are some specific things that I should be doing? You know, what should I spend my time doing when I am working on my own? So I would help them and give them just a few little, little things to do. Like, for example, I say ball on a wall all the time. Uh, I talk to them about their fitness, certain things that they can strengthen um, so that, you know, their fitness in game is, is at a higher level. And I'll just give them those nuggets of information and then they go and they do it on their own. And that impresses me. Those are the players that that I like to work with, you know, where I can give them the, the, the nuggets of information. They take them on their own and they apply them to their work. And then I can see it. You know, they show up to training, they show up to games, and it's evident, it's clear that they are working on those things and they're gaining results from it. What would you say are the top three things, five things that the players can do against a wall? I'm trying to I'm trying to give people that are listening an idea of, you know, what would impress uh, a coach like you or a coach like me. I think just basic fundamental technique, first touch, the ability to play the pass, you know, the weight of the pass, uh, the quality of the pass. Those fundamental techniques are very important. Um, yeah, I think those because of the style of play that I implement with my teams, the possession-based style. Uh, having those basic fundamentals, you know, clean, consistently clean, and being able to execute consistently, it plays a huge role in the way that, you know, my teams play. So I always tell my players to work on those things. They're not, not you know, there's some players who work on those things on their own much more than others, and it shows uh, I would say, you know, their fitness, that's something that you can work on on your own, your fitness levels. I always tell my players, you should be comfortable playing a full game, no problem. You know, whether you play the full game or not, you know, I might make a decision for that not to happen, but you should be able to do it, no problem on your own, if that's what's asked of you. Um, yeah, and then I, I think studying, watching games, learning from teams at the highest level players from the highest level picking a 
player that you model your game after uh you know that's sort of i'm able to tell if that's sort of going on by just having conversation with the players just talking about hey did you watch that game and they say yeah and we just we start a conversation did you see this did you see that um i would say those are the three things that i try to instill in the players the most and just through natural conversation seeing the results and training and games from them uh is how i know that they're doing it Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 Podcast. If you are interested in accelerating your development as a coach and learning more about possession-based soccer, you can visit 343coaching.com and sign up for our premium coaching membership program. That is where you will get access to video, audio, and ebook lessons that will help you reduce your trial and error time by showing you the methods that have been proven to work in the American soccer environment. You can visit 343coaching.com to learn more about our coaching programs. Once again, that is 343coaching.com. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast, and we will catch you next time.